on the other end of the spectrum, I don't think Jeremy Irons is doing an accent. He's I not think doing he's just one a British man, yeah. like a, a British man standing there who was he was like born in a Soviet prison, but he's a British man. Like, no, that, like, that like he, he's he's definitely Russian. Like mm. his character is a a Russian man, um, and he just he's was rushing like, through the script and not <laughs> bothering to learn the dialogue. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spore the Warning podcast. This is review number 492 with a review of Red Sparrow. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, uh, just just last night, in fact, uh, were the 90th Academy Awards. The Oscars happened last night. Um, so before we get into our, our episode where we talk about Red Sparrow... Anything to say about the Oscars, Mr. Stephen Miller? How'd you feel about that Shape of Water win for Best Picture? So, so I felt good about it, but I, I had a kind of conflicted feeling at the Oscars because there are movies that would have been my choice to win. Like The Shape of Water, I believe, if I were just doing a flat ranking of all of the nominated films, that was probably the one that was highest on my own list uh, in my end-of-the-year write-up. But I still, a part of me like wanted to root for the underdog you know i i kind of wanted to see like a get out win instead yeah, something yeah. that would just feel more interesting for the academy to do um i felt similarly with acting like loved francis mcdormand loved sam rockwell i think margot robbie would have made my heart warm a little bit more if she had won um and like i, I don't know just in general there were things where I couldn't argue with the whims. I felt pretty good about it. I think the yeah, Academy, yeah. for the most part, made good calls this year. Like Roger Deakins won for cinema. That was great. I didn't think Blade Runner was necessarily going to get anything. Um, Call Me By Your Name, totally like worthy adapted screenplay win. Yeah. Get Out winning uh, original screenplay. All, all that was great. I, I mostly felt really, really good about it. There were just... There were a couple of things where I felt like they could have gone the more interesting route. Like Willem Dafoe winning supporting would have been yeah, more yeah. interesting to me, for instance. Um, some kind of boggled my mind. Like we reviewed all the documentaries on this podcast. Yeah, and I think sure. Icarus was <laughs> my single least favorite of the documentaries that we watched, <laughs> at least from a craft of documentary filmmaking standpoint. Yeah. And, and I, I think in, in that review, my exact quote was something like, a guy started off making the worst documentary you've ever seen and then stumbled into something interesting, right? Yeah. And it's like... And he didn't completely fuck up the interesting <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that it, it, it's it's a little bit crazy to me to award the worst documentary ever made becoming something interesting as like a technical achievement or like yeah. something that furthers the documentary genre. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I also have to say, like... I, I loved Coco... We talked about it. Yeah, we lo yeah. we loved Coco. Yeah, we yeah. loved Remember Me and Coco. Yeah. That was not the Grandma Academy Award winning song of the year. Yeah. Grandma Coco singing Remember Me makes me tear up. That's yeah. cool. I'm totally on board with that. But it wasn't Grandma Coco singing it that was nominated. It was the song it was, itself. It was an off-key Gal <laughs> Garcia Bernal singing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've... I wanted Sufian to win for Mystery of Love. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we, I, we, I don't, I don't think we both had this conversation yeah. during dinner before we came here to record. We 100% believe Mystery of Love should have been the winner. 
Um, that song is amazing. It should play in everything. It makes everything better. Yeah. Second to that, This Is Me should have won. Like that, that was at least the big hit that is, I believe, an actual chart topping hit right now in its yeah. own right. And like that would have been kind of a follow up apology for La La Land, <laughs> you know? Um, follow up apology for Can't Stop the Feeling. <laughs> yeah. I just wasn't a fan of Remember Me winning. Uh, but other, other than that, like, you know, the short pick was great. All the acting categories I really can't argue about. Directing, I think Guillermo deserves it. Um, I like. I wouldn't have minded to see Christopher Nolan get a bit more love. It seems like Dunkirk only got the technical achievements, and yeah. it could have deserved like one of the other ones. But best picture. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> How did you feel about it? Um, I mean, I, yeah. In general, I feel a little bit like you. Like they're like. There are a lot of years where I'm watching, I'm like, oh, I really want this to win. It doesn't win. And I kind of feel not disappointed in every category because there's lots of things that like are fantastic usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of feel like, oh, I just kind of wish this would have gotten in there. But this year I feel mostly pretty good about everything. Like like we said, Mystery of Love definitely should have won. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very happy that The Silent Child won. Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely my like, please let this win. Please let this win. My favorite of all the the shorts that we watched. Um, I... I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. I honestly was secretly holding out that Dunkirk was going to like somewhere in the mix. Yeah. Like, like everybody else's choices would cancel each other out. And then the fact that like Dunkirk is amazing and everybody loved it because mm-hmm. you better realize that you loved it. Um, I thought that maybe it would boil up to the top. Um, that didn't happen. That's totally fine. Like I, I love the human being Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Like, more than I love Dunkirk, yeah. <laughs> right? Like Guillermo just... del Toro is like a Muppet version of Michael Moore. I feel like, <laughs> like if Michael Moore is like the Bizarro evil version, <laughs> <laughs> but no, like I totally, I, I like it, it's one of those things where it's like sometimes you see somebody win, you're like, thank God. Like if Willem Dafoe would have won, I would have been like, fuck yeah, yeah, like that was an amazing performance. Guillermo like made a great film. I didn't love all the film, but I thought parts of it were brilliant. But he just watching him win makes it worth having seen him win. <laughs> well, and, and that's what's funny is I maybe it's because I listened to too much Oscar talk beforehand. I'm sure you do, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, the fact that The Shape of Water was like the runaway obvious hit to the point where I wanted to root for underdogs against it. That's already a weird year for movie making. Like this is a movie about a woman who fucks a fish man like <laughs> Genre movies like that don't win the Academy Award. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just funny that in my head, like three months ago, it would have been an underdog that I would be like so stoked to win a thing. And now because it was already considered the front runner and the kind of safer choice among the movies to win, yeah. a, a part of me wanted something else to, to win. In my in my aspirational ballot, actually, like that I, I was filling out, not necessarily what I wanted, but it was like a prediction that I allowed what I wished would upset to cloud my judgment. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I had Lady Bird winning the screenplay and Get Out winning Best Picture in an upset. Yeah. Like that, that split, even though like I, I wasn't the biggest fan of Lady Bird, like, like it, it didn't make my top 10 list. Um, but still something about that moment of like Greta winning a screenplay award and Jordan Peele winning Best Picture would have like... Yeah. It would have made it a much more exciting Oscars for, you know, small filmmaking going forward. Yeah, yeah. I do I do love the awards that he did get. Like that <laughs> that was that was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I I, I yeah, could, if Get Out didn't win Best Picture, I would have had him win screenplay and not Greta. It had to be like a combo for, yeah, <laughs> for that yeah, to yeah. work out. 
Nice. Well, I mean, it sounds like overall we we enjoyed the the Oscars this year. Um, nothing nothing too bad to, yeah. to complain about. Speaking of Oscar nominated films, I I just wanted to point out that I did <laughs> finally get to watch Boss Baby on my plane back from Japan yesterday, and it lived up to the hype. That was <laughs> <laughs> it was it was not I think an objectively great movie, yeah. but it was. One of the most like bewilderingly energetic <laughs> kids movies I've seen in a long time. And Alec Baldwin only has one note. He's like kind of a douchebag in real life, but he nails that note with the boss baby. I, I yeah. was cracking up it like it must have been so fun to just be a writer in this movie and throw away all of these jokes of the ridiculous idea yeah. of a baby being like, you know, a a top tier upper manager that's just worrying about like competing with puppies because yeah, yeah. Sharpays are number one in China now and where were we were falling in China like it was good it was funny sucking on binkies like dropping ayahuasca it was great <laughs> great, so, great moments in this movie so here's a question uh, like about two or three weeks ago I made you watch the Honest Trailers uh, trailer for mm-hmm. Boss Baby um, while I was making you watch it at the time I didn't know that you were going to prioritize watching Boss Baby while you were flying to Japan yeah. Um, I prioritized it over the Broken Circle Breakdown, which I did not watch. Uh, it's still, it's, I still haven't seen it either. But anyway, so I, as I was showing you that that video a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, shit, there are a bunch of spoilers in this video. Uh, did that take away at all from your your enjoyment of, uh, honestly, of Boss Baby? Honestly, I forgot all of the spoilers. <laughs> By the time I watched it, I couldn't remember any spoiler, except that the baby can talk. But I feel like they... Yeah, yeah, they, I mean, they told you that in the like Alec Baldwin isn't playing a silent baby. He's not doing Sally Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alec Baldwin provided the uh, the arrogance for the boss baby, but no dialogue. Uh, nice, well, good time. I also caught Ratatouille, which amazing movie. Maybe one of my favorite Pixar movies ever. I had never seen yeah. it before. You hadn't seen it before. I had oh, never wow, seen Ratatouille. Yeah. No, I think it's up there in like my, no, it's, it's, it's like maybe my top two. It, it's very high up there. Yeah. It's one of my favorite as well. Like, yeah. I, I think that is like, that's one of the ones where it was late enough in Pixar's, uh, run, I guess, where it could have dipped into things where it's like, Oh, I love 80% of this movie, right. but 20% of it, I really dislike. And that one, like, the entire film is yeah. perfect, and uh, yeah, it, it's like the perfect balance between the younger Pixar and the newer Pixar. Right? Yeah, it, yeah. it it is a great kids movie that is always entertaining, and it has like a secret world that we didn't know about. Yeah, but the it doesn't doesn't need talking dogs too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it also like it, it isn't about like family or other trite things it is a little bit but it's about like a love of food and yeah, life yeah. and it, it's about a passion for like a thing and just yeah. putting your entire soul into making that thing great <laughs> yeah i just also think it's genius because if if you ever like eat in paris you're gonna see like a rat scurrying through the cafe and i love the <laughs> idea it's true it's just everywhere because they have like doors open and it's just a thing about the city and the idea that I want to believe the writer of Ratatouille was just like sitting in a cafe and a rat scurried by and he was like, I have an idea for a movie. <laughs> what if that rat cooked this food? And then he thought of the name Ratatouille and it was just like a mind explosion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very nice. Well, uh, what do you say we get into our review of Red Sparrow? Let's do it. All right. We're going to take a listen to the trailer for Red Sparrow and then we're going to come back and give you guys all a review. Morning, Mama. What is it? I have to go away for a while. I was told to take a man to a hotel. 
They said he was an enemy of the state. Take off your dress. In an exchange, my mother would get the doctor she needed. Instead, they cut his throat. There could be no witnesses. So, they gave me a choice. Die, or become a sparrow. From this day forward, you will become sparrows. Weapons in a global struggle for power. You'll be trained in psychological manipulation. You must learn to push yourself beyond all limitation. Take off your clothes. When we are finished with you, the person you were will no longer exist. Every human being is a puzzle of need. You must become the missing piece, and they will tell you anything. You have a gift. You know how to survive. This is what you were meant to do. There is a traitor in the government. His last known contact is an American. Get close to him. I thought I saw you in the pool yesterday. Are we going to become friends? Is that what you want? She's a sparrow. You only matter because of what you can do for them. Work with me and make these men pay. You are better at this than any of us. Your only problem is you have a soul. We can't trust a word that comes out of her mouth. There's something else we're not seeing. If she's compromised, she will be eliminated. What have you done? You belong to them. They'll never let you go. I'll find a way. Alright, so that was the trailer for Red Sparrow. Um, it is the story of a, a young ballerina in Russia who gets recruited into the Russian intelligence service. And uh, basically, the Russian intelligence service is trying to find a mole they have who is working with a member of the CIA. And she is tasked with uh, finding and seducing that CIA agent in a way that would allow her to gain access to information about who that mole is. Mm -hmm. um, it's your typical uh, U.S. versus Russia spy drama. Yeah. Um, well, not necessarily a typical one, but you know what I mean? The typical backdrop scenario setting. Basically, the Russians believe the Cold War never died. It was just shattered into a thousand pieces. Yeah. And uh, they're trying to bring Russia back up to the might that it once was and uh, win this next version of the Cold War. So, Stephen Miller... What did you think of Red Sparrow? I feel conflicted about this movie. I, a, a part of me wants to tear it to shreds in pieces <laughs> because it, this is a movie that knows the style it wants to go for much better than it knows how to execute a coherent movie around that style, I think. Like, this is a movie where it has the Cold War intrigue, it has double, triple, quadruple crossing... But kind of like how Icarus had a really interesting documentary story it wanted to tell, but somehow managed to muddy the narrative when it should have been a very easy narrative to make. Yeah, especially um, when the narrative was already written. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, you know, P 
people who look like Putin, as this movie shows us, make for great <laughs> narratives. Um, I made that same joke about the Danish girl, and I realized it's the same actor, Matthias Schoenart. He does it. super. So look he's like, just super so, Putin. So the funny thing is, Putin is a character in the book. Oh, really? So like when I saw the trailers, I just assumed that was Putin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but anyway, like like Icarus showed us. Even if you have a great narrative, you can sometimes manage to cloud what shouldn't be cloudy. And I feel like this does a little bit of that. Like there were plot points in the double, triple, whatever crossing intrigues where I was a little lost as to who is orchestrating this part and why are they orchestrating this and why is the character making the decision they're making. But if I like set that aside, if I set aside my schnazy aspects a little bit, (laughs) I think the... This film is trying to capture a mood that is pretty similar to what Girl with the Dragon Tattoo did, which is like a very heavy, stylized sex and violence intermingling sort of thing, right? This is this is a movie about like seduction and cold power and people trying to exert like authority and manipulate each other. Yeah. And it, it steers very much into that. Like th- this movie earns its R rating and it is like not afraid to kind of hyper intensify very uncomfortable sexual things to like make you feel disturbed in the theater um it steers into it way more than i thought a jennifer lawrence vehicle directed by the mockingjay guy was was gonna go um (laughs) and and it, it just handles that mood very well like this is a very compelling movie to sit through it it definitely pulled me along I think it handles the twists very well. Even when I didn't understand the twist, I felt like the act of twisting <laughs> and, and it excited me. Um, I think Jennifer Lawrence does a great job here as the star, even though we both discussed a little that she might not perfectly have what the character in the book is going for, but I think she brings enough to the table to be like a really yeah. interesting lead. She brings everything except for the accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll talk about the accent. Um, oh, we can talk about all of the accents in this film. Yeah. Joel, Joel Edgerton. It's great. I, I'm just His a American fan. accent is great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a big fan <laughs> of him in general. I, I love him as a supporting player and things. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Irons is also great in here, even though, I don't know, is he supposed to be Russian? Because he sure as hell didn't try oh, to do an accent. Su- he's supposed to be Russian, yes. <laughs> so Th- can- this is reminds me of like enemy at the gates <laughs> when like you're like whose side are we watching right now they all have the same accent yeah. we're like is harrison ford supposed to be german what's going on so we'll, we'll talk about the accents after i hear what you think i just want to throw out one more criticism this movie has a knack for finding like just ridiculous one-liners of dialogue there were at least like four moments in this movie where i turned to you and just started laughing because a scene just went oddly right like there's one where a character two spies are talking to each other and Jennifer Lawrence's character says something about playing hard to get. And the woman's like, I find a blow job is easier. And it's just like, <laughs> who, who wrote this? Right. Uh, a, a, a sparrow teacher wrote that apparently. Yeah. So occasionally this movie dips into like silly nonsense, but I do think the mood it builds is compelling. So it's an, it, it's an interesting movie. I think it does what it wanted to do very well. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, as I mentioned in our previous review, uh, Annihilation, I've been doing this thing where I try to read books before we review the film. And uh, I really like the book Red Sparrow. Like, unlike Annihilation, where like halfway through the book, I was like, ooh, I don't know about this movie. I was like, oh, I really like this book. In fact, when I finished the book, I was like, I kind of want to go on to book two and quit this whole read the book before the movie thing because I just want to go on with this story. Um, the book is like a really interesting um, so first of all, 
the one fear I did have, and it wasn't even a fear I knew this was going to happen, is in the book, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character, it, I, and I know we've talked about this isn't the way it works, but it works perfectly in the narrative, so I was happy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, synesthetic, and she sees uh, emotions and facial tics as uh, streams of color coming off of the people she's encountering. Mm-hmm. And in the book, this is essential to who she is. Like her ability to read and trust people and know whether she should fear for her life or feel comfortable is powered by her ability to look at them and see a color that would explain their confidence, their level of trustworthiness, their level of danger. Like this is on every single page of the book, right? She mm-hmm. sits in a room and she sees this and she sees that. And it's all about her noticing things about people. Um, and then conversely, the character of Nash, the CIA agent, um, he has just been in the business for a while and can kind of like, he kind of just knows how things play out. And he has like a sense of him trying to put together the piece of the puzzle. It's not as like, genetically gifted as 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 uh jennifer lawrence's character is but like there there is i i love that aspect of the story it's one of my favorite things about Mm -hmm. the book and it's like reading the book i was like okay there is no way this will even be referenced in the movie of course they make some like offhanded reference like an hour and 40 minutes into the film and i'm just like really really like this is the way you're going to talk about this uh okay so all that aside i'm completely losing my train of thought but basically, I, I was excited for this story um, because I, I really like the book. Um, the film itself, uh, they like because of the book has also a bunch of these twists and turns, the film does its best to sort of not steer clear of, but sort of just mix things up just a little bit. Obviously, they have to cut some things out to shorten the story. Um, they have to do things to make it original to themselves and I don't think necessarily those changes are for the better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm falling into the normal trope of people who are like, the book was better, I read it, and it was great, and this movie sucks. And that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just like, the things that I love the most about the book, which made me excited for the film, were removed from the film. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to like rate this film of just as just a piece of work when it's like the things that they removed were were like important to the story that I read. Right? I, well, I think that that's how I felt about all the later Harry Potter movies, where I feel like probably from a movie making standpoint, they made the right call in like yeah, what yeah. they cut and what they didn't cut. But as a person who had read the books and really, really enjoyed the books, when I watched like the Half Blood Prince or even um, the uh, the Deathly Hallows, even though they were clearly like well well done from a movie narrative, yeah. I, I just felt disappointed, right? Because I'm like, that's not how it goes. That that doesn't have the thing I loved yeah. anymore. Well, and I think I think too, it's not it's not even to the credit of. Because I'll be honest, I don't I don't read a whole lot, right? Like most of the reading I do is dialogue boxes and video games that I play, right? <laughs> Chris so. actually got an app, so Red Sparrow would be read as dialogue boxes <laughs> in a video game. Yeah, um, but no, but like. Uh, <laughs> you completely broke my train of thought. So, so I don't even like I don't even truly know how to judge if a book is well written because I haven't read enough books to like go like oh this book was really well written this book was re- really poorly written so I can't tell you that Red Sparrow is like an amazing book I just really like the narrative that it was telling and the story that it was working with like what what these characters were forced to do and like there is a big difference between like reading a book where you're inside a character's head and you know their motivations versus watching a film where uh, the character just acts and you have to take for granted their motivation. Like there was times in the film where like, I wanted to like pause it, turn to you and ask you like, 
do you know why she's agreeing to do this? Or do you fear for her life right now? The answer or, like, is always no. To yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that this film, it, it because it can't go inside her head, like it would be really dumb if you heard, like if it was a voiceover, it would be super cheesy. But like there is some something missing from like knowing why she fears for her life in any given situation or why she thinks that like she should or shouldn't agree to do certain things. And it's, it, it, the, the book does a great job of, of convincing you that the decision she makes is the best decision for her to, to make. Um, but in the film, you're sort of just watching her make decisions. And without that knowledge, I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't watch this movie without that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So maybe I wouldn't have picked up on it having just seen it. But it, it feels like the film lacks a sense of drive and motivation that pushes the characters forward. Mm-hmm. And like th- these, the, the story we're dealing with is, uh, it's pretty big, right? There are people on both sides of this conflict. Very who... good people. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so they're, they're very good people on both sides, both sides. And um, they are sharing information with the enemy. Mm-hmm. And this is not a film that is sort of trying to like say like who's right or who's wrong. This is a film that's like, like there are big consequences, right? Like, both sides know that there's a problem and they're both trying to figure out what the problem is and trying to find, trying to get their main character in the story to figure out from the other people who the problem is. Right. And and I think that the narrative is complex and really interesting. And I think the film doesn't have the time allotted to it to kind of build that up and make certain moments uh, have the weight that it needs to. Like there is a, there's a moment in this film where a character divulges the name of their boss in the film, it's just said, and like, uh, so so it's the Russian agent says to the American CIA agent, this is my boss's name. And the CIA agent goes, yeah, I've heard of him before. That scene lets him know who she is for real. Mm-hmm. Like, and the film just plays that off as like, oh, yeah, I've heard of him. He's cool. And it's like, that's like a big moment in the book where like both characters are like, shit, did she say that on purpose? Did she slip up? And what am I supposed to do with this information? Like, and it's like when the film is walking over those moments, it's hard to get like really invested in the spy story when it's sort of not invested enough on its own to make you care. Right. Well, I think a, a few points to that. One, I totally agree. I think the motivations are not ever clear. I think you still learn to fear for the characters and care for them. Like there are acts of violence in the third act that I was definitely like feeling myself cringing and pulling back. Um, What's interesting is this is a movie about cunning and maneuvering that doesn't care to let you in on the act of maneuvering. Like we don't know why characters do much of anything in this movie. Uh, There are a lot of times in this movie we can go into it in spoilers where Jennifer Lawrence will say a thing and I don't know if she is strategically lying or if a thing I didn't witness took place where she's telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and I feel like that's what the movie is kind of going for. It decided it can't tell the whole story, so it will instead put the intrigue on you. Yeah, and like, li- likewise, when her superior officers tell her something, you don't know whether right. they're telling her the truth or just manipulating her. Yeah, so it, it puts the audience in this kind of fog of not knowing what is real and what isn't real, which is still fine. Uh, a comparison for me would be there was the movie The Illusionist a while ago that came out, I think, around the same year as The Prestige. Yeah, it was around the same time. And compared to The Prestige, I was really angry at The Illusionist because I felt like that was a movie about 
magic and illusions that rather than have a reveal that tells you how it works, just had a reveal that told you that it worked. This was a movie that just ended with like, but it was all an illusion, right? And then like walked away and it's like, what? but I wasn't in on that. Like you, you can't just say that at the end, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate that in films in general. This film doesn't actually, do, to its credit, right. doesn't do this, but there are definitely films where like the film goes out of its way to convince you one thing mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, cool, this is the thing. And at the end of the movie, it's like, <laughs> just kidding. It was yeah. this other unrelated thing that has nothing to do with the entire fucking movie up until this moment. And you're just like, no, that's not a twist. Like a twist is something that you could have seen given any other circumstance. Like if you can't rewatch the movie and see the clues, it's not a twist. It's just you fucking the audience. Yeah, and, and so like if I were to go back to The Illusionist now, I think I would appreciate a lot because it like built an ambience and a tone and the story it wanted to tell was not the haha Christopher Nolan I have a twist that's going to blow your mind right yeah. it was telling a different story and I think this movie does that in a way that I think is totally fine which is it lands these twist feelings without having really earned them because that isn't the story it wants to tell the story yeah. it wants to tell is chaos and confusion and allegiances being unclear yeah. and it's kind of laying up the groundwork for what I imagine if there is a second one, and I think there probably should be unless people don't show up to the movies this weekend, yeah. um, is maybe a bigger thing once things are more established in the second book or the second movie. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll we'll do a little, at least some mini spoiler sec- uh, segment at the end of this episode just so I can kind of like speak directly to that point and wh- where I think the future can go, and I haven't read the next book yet, but like I'd be interested for more of the story. <laughs> I want to I wanna read the second book. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the accents. <laughs> I well, understand. I, uh, before, before we talk about the accents, just one more one more complaint about this film, um, like related to the narrative. Before we talk about those fun things, um, when you watch a spy film, the thing that you want is tradecraft, right? You want to see that these are people who are well trained that can do something that is impressive, right? Like. The reason why you watch a Mission Impossible movie, besides to see the crazy stunt that uh, Tom Cruise is going to do next, is to see like um, you know like the weird gadgets that they have and how they do a thing and where the dead drops are and how those even work and how like you go to the abandoned subway and pull a lever and then there's a whole like uh, safe house in there with gun like that kind of stuff is the thing that impresses you when you watch a spy like you want to see spy people like doing tradecraft right like the, the spy cool people right this film. Not concerned with that at all. No, like, no. I, I mean, this is almost about tearing that down and saying being a spy is all information yeah. and no action. But like the like, so there there are two moments in this film where they actually talk about anything related to being a spy at all. That's first first time that they don't even talk about it. It's the opening of the film where Nate does something to help distract uh, some police officers so that his uh, his contact can get away. Right. That that's that's a well-trained person. I mean, he made maybe the wrong call, but like you can see what you can see the process of his head of what should he do in that situation. Cool. The next is like there's a scene where they're uh, the Russians are talking about this powder that they put on an object that will remain on the object for up to six weeks so that like you can tell if somebody is uh, a rival agent because they like you might see an American come in contact with this special powder that was put on just one of your agents and that could lead to you knowing who was there, right? Mm-hmm. And that is almost unused in this film. <laughs> is it almost or fully unused? I mean, they there's a flashback scene where they like use it for 
later, but I see. <laughs> but for the most part, it's completely unused. And there are literal parts in the book where the characters are like, whoa, we literally can't touch each other because we don't know if we don't have this magic dust on us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's there's conscious, like, they don't even shake hands with each other because they don't want to get have any sort of transference. Like, so there are things like that where it's like, I'm not convinced these are badass agents unless they're fighting and badass shit's happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah. So That's true. So t- two things. One, when they described that powder, they specifically said intimate contact which made me wonder if there was going to be a weird like kingsman 2 type thing going on here <laughs> no. um, but in the scene there they put it on a phone and then they have each of the people pass the phone to each right. other and then they shine the light and you can see it yeah so it wasn't like they were like yeah <laughs> yeah um the the second point is so you mentioned like mission impossible and the intrigue of watching a spy movie and that's all true like i think this movie the trailer kind of made it look like it was going to be a a basic instinct type of movie where Jennifer Lawrence is just like going around slaying, right? This is going to be like a trained killer that seduces people and attacks them. And that to its credit, I think this is not that movie. I think that would not be a very good vehicle for her yeah. or a vehicle for the, the sort of tone that this movie was going for. Um, I think what this does though is also very mission impossible, which is show you a charming American CIA dude interacting with a woman of unknown allegiances and trying to do this dance where they never quite know what the other thinks, but still wanting to protect her. And I think that is a fun movie trope. And I think like they pull it off here, even if it it's flipped a little, like yeah. it's different from the way it normally goes down. Even, even, even if there's no flute sniper rifles or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> so the accents. Yeah. Accents. Let's, let's get so to like, I, I can criticize the quality of the accents and that like, that's fun. That's fine. I just want to know what are the, what are the rules in this movie? Because this, I get it's hard to make a movie about another country when you want it to star American actors. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, what are you going to do? You could either have them all learn the new language, like De Niro did for Godfather Part Two, or yeah. you can, like, have it in English and just be like, hey, guys, suspend your disbelief. This is in English now. Well, so, movie- so, so when, when you're doing just a story in another country where American actors are playing whatever said country is. If you exist solely in that country, fine. Just pretend like English is whatever language, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if for our purposes you're speaking in German but we're hearing it as English, that's fine. I've talked about on previous episodes where halfway through a movie with subtitles, I remember hearing it in English right. even though I was reading it the whole time. That's cool. The problem is when you're bouncing back and forth, that, like unless you're going to put like the letters on the screen. So you are going to hear everything in English, but you're going to see Russian subtitles mm-hmm. when Russians are talking and English subtitles when Americans are talking. You have to do something yeah. to, to. I mean, obviously, there, there, some people are trying to do... You can assume that if Jennifer Lawrence is in a room... <laughs> that that maybe the rest if it, if it's if it's back in Russia that everybody in that room is supposed to be speaking in a Russian accent well, and that's the thing we don't know and this is a movie where Russian exists as a language like Joel yeah. Edgerton says it once and she says that wow your Russian is really good yeah. and it's like so does that mean this is a world where the Russian agents just meeting together in Russia are speaking English with a Russian accent together like is that the conversation that's going on it the use of language is very odd yeah. in this movie for that reason because there's no, there's no shift. Jennifer Lawrence presumably is speaking Russian half the time and English half the time. Yeah, but there's no shift in the 
tone of it in any way that would signify it. And it, yeah. it, it's and, and, funny and, and when the, like a half-assed accent of English is being used to convey that you're speaking Russian. <laughs> yeah. And one, one of the things I actually enjoyed about the book too, not to keep going back to that, but like the character would be speaking, uh, the text is in English, but then she would say something like a Russian word followed by the English translation of that. Like mm. so that she'd like call somebody something and then it would say like what that is. And it was kept mm. bouncing back and forth between short sentences of Russian and then like the Russian, tra- the English translation for that. Yeah. Um, but like that was also a book that had hard marks that cut between now we're following Nate. Now we're following Dominica. Like it, it was going back and forth and you always knew where you were and you always knew like who was speaking and what language they were speaking. I, I, I want to believe in every quote. It ended with like she said in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's. I, I read it at a fourth grade reading level. <laughs> so, for ranking quality of accents, I would say Jennifer Lawrence is like seventy percent consistent at least. <clears throat> there feels, are moments it feels when she's... like they told her seventy percent of words that would sound Russian, mm-hmm. and then she didn't bother working on the accent. Yeah, she other just ad libbed the other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because whenever she's being flirtatious with Joel Edgerton's character. I feel like she's just an American. Like, it doesn't seem like she's really trying to nail the accent there. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, I don't think Jeremy Irons is doing an accent. He's not doing one I think he's just a British man. Like, a a British man standing there who was... I don't think this is a spoiler because it's just background, but he was, like, born in a Soviet prison, but he's a British man. Like, that was was weird. He's he's definitely Russian. Like, Mm -hmm. his character is a, a Russian man. Um, and he just He's was rushing like, through the script and not bothering to learn the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically they were like, they're like, uh, do a Russian accent for me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, just do your accent. <laughs> we'll double later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just one of those things where like we're not we're, we're, it's it's we can afford one vocal co- coach. It's going to Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry. Retroactive props to Stuhlbarg for actually <laughs> learning some Russian in Shape of Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good on you. Anyway, I don't know what I would have wanted, but it definitely took me out of the movie noticing how heavy the fake accents were and how like inconsistently applied they were in a world where English is also a thing that's being spoken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes it a little tough. It, it's also just weird for me to have a lead a lead character that we are following who is masking her voice in a fake accent. There's just something about that where her ability to like convey emotion through her voice is very hampered when she's forced to put on this kind of cheesy thing that we know isn't authentic because it's not a Russian yeah. spoken word. It's like just a movie thing of a person speaking English Russian-y. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would have been nice if there was some way to get around it. If, if, it, if, this, if this story was just told from her point of view and we weren't spending so much time with the Americans, then maybe they could do like a Valkyrie thing where like it starts off in German and slowly transitions to English. You're like, oh, I'm just hearing English now. Sidebar, by the way, at... At the Academy Awards last night, they cut to Saoirse Ronan's little monologue during, it was either her or Laurie Metcalf's like scene for their nomination. And she sounded Irish as hell in that monologue to me. <laughs> Once I had like been in the context of Saoirse Ronan, she was like, I'll pay you back every dollar you ever paid on me, mum." <laughs> I don't know if I was just incepted because I had seen her at the red carpet right before I'm not an expert, but I think your Irish accent's better than Jennifer Lawrence's Russian accent. <laughs> Apologies to the future listeners when doing an Irish accent is like bigoted and racist. <laughs> it's still allowed right now. What, what do you mean when? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, is there anything else we can talk about in the non-spoiler section? Not really. The only other comp that I really wanted to get in there is... It's funny because the name is also similar, <laughs> Black Swan. I think that is another movie that like ballerinas obviously are part of a theme, and and there there's more to that than just being a little construct at the beginning of the movie. There's something about the detached like grace of the human body versus the lack of emotion that they're showing while they're performing it. Yeah, I think that's definitely a theme in this film. I kind of assume the book draws more parallels to that, um, but both of them do this thing very well i think which is create a a chilly use of sensuality and violence where it it isn't not titillating right like it's definitely like showing seduction and it's like conveying that to you but it's also off-putting in a very weird way and i think i think this movie pulls it off even if the training scenes in the sparrow's nest or whatever they're called like the place that they're at um felt like the duller moments in the movie. Yeah. I, I just felt like the dialogue being used there is, it, it isn't actually what the dialogue would sound like months into this training, right? It sounds like yeah. they're all just being introduced to the idea of sensuality for the first time. And, and that's the weird thing too, is because like the, in, in the book, it is a very short chapter where she's mm-hmm. actually in Sparrow School and it focuses on some other things. This, this, this film was sort of trying to sum up the entire Sparrow School in one, like, little section and then, like, get rid of it and then just have other characters referenced to her being in Sparrow School. But it seemed like the the main difference is that in the film it was like, yeah, use your seduction powers and, like, you have to know what the other person wants and give them that. Mm-hmm. And, like, in the book, I felt that the Sparrow School was really about deadening your connection to all sexuality That's and desire what and stuff. the trailer makes it look like. The trailer makes it look like the school is a place where you are forced against your will to basically perform enough actions that you're completely numb to it by the end. Yeah, yeah. Like Which the, would be setting up the crazy, deadly action movie where this is a person so detached she just uses her sensuality to destroy people. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it isn't that movie. Like, we don't see enough scenes of her willingly submitting to that kind of thing to believe that she would do that we kind of see her as an anomaly someone who stands yeah. up for herself and refuses to do that stuff yeah and like in, in in the book she talks about um things that have been pushed down and moments when those things come surfacing back up and like mm-hmm. there's this tug and to- uh this pu- push and pull of like i have suppressed the fact that this is even a part of who i am and then in these moments i can bring that out and like she talks about it like crawling back from wherever it mm-hmm. was and stuff like that. Interesting. So anyways, <laughs> should we uh, should we round out the, the main review section so we can get to spoilers? Yeah. Cool. Let's get to the official verdicts. Um, Stephen Miller, if you want to give this a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm giving it a recommend with a caveat. I don't, I don't think this is the sort of movie that I'm going to really remember a few months from now. I think it's a very experiential flick that just has a tone it's setting and it 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 is a genre like it it surprises you it has twists that you don't see coming but on a whole it, it's basically what I expected from the movie uh the caveat being it I, I don't think it's like amazing or anything yeah. I, I think it's just it, it's fine it's a it's a good time at the theater and it does enough interesting stuff to keep you compelled for a couple hours yeah. Um, for me, uh, yeah, it's, it's so hard to divorce my uh, my experience watching the film with my experience reading the book. Uh, so I'm going to give it a wait for rental. Um, I I don't think it lives up to the awesome spycraft story that I wanted to see from it that I think the book sort of delivers on. Um, but I didn't I didn't 
dislike watching it. <laughs> like I, I enjoyed it enough and I, I had a fun exercise in trying to see where they changed it and where they mix up the, sp- the story um, from what the book did. Um, so yeah, I didn't hate the film, but also wasn't too hot on it either. I do think it sticks the landing though. I think the last 20 minutes of the movie are good enough to make me definitely want a sequel to come out. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I, I, I think, I think they do some things to her character, like a, a, a thing that is a part of who she is that I think the book emphasizes really heavy that the film, because it's trying to be more dramatic, uh, has her give into. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about it in spoilers, but I, I think that like it, it, it sticks the overall landing, the character landing. It does something that I will tell you about shortly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, that, that was our review. So you gave it a recommend with a caveat and mm-hmm. I gave it a wait for rental. Um, we're going to close the episode out now uh, and then we'll get into spoilers a few moments later. So for people who aren't going to stick with us, where can they find you throughout the week, Stephen? Uh, they can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. Um, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Red Sparrow, so hopefully you are enjoying that. That music is going to fade up in just a second. And when that music fades out a little moment later, we will be in full-blown spoilers. So if you are not prepared for this uh, spycraft that we're going <laughs> to be chatting through, um, then you should uh, not join us in the spy section. So we are back. It is after midnight. On a Monday night right now, Chris and I are drinking white wine that we found in the office. <laughs> and we're here to talk spoilers for Red Sparrow, a movie that neither of us loved. Because <laughs> that's what we do. Um, so, what's... Uh, oh, oh, overall, general, I just want to... For the people who stuck with us long enough to hear the tease I did right before we transitioned to the spoiler territory. You didn't see the strip tease, by the way. That was, <laughs> that was just for me. That was just for Steven. Um, but no, so what I was saying is I, there was something about her character which I really didn't like. Um, and like, well, I'll, I'll kind of hit that first, then we can bounce back through the story. Maybe I'll have you describe the story arc, mm-hmm. and then I can kind of hit through that and tell you how it differs and how your twists were different than my twists in the book. Um, but the one thing I want to say about her character is she is highly, highly proficient. And one of the things that she has gotten really good at throughout the story and throughout her her life transitioning from a ballerina who was an expert at that to being like a seemingly expert spy person. We're talking book character, right? A book character, yeah. yeah. Is that she has gotten really, really good at, um, for lack of a better term, deleting her external reactions and holding them inside. Mm -hmm. So like something crazy will happen. And um, for her... She's going, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. But on the outside, it's like she doesn't even care. And when you are a person who is um, uh, basically spying on your own country (laughs) and you're trying to convince people who already at some point in time thought you were a spy (laughs) that you're not a spy, you can't react to things Mm -hmm. as if you care that bad guys who are spying on your country are, are, um, are being killed, right? Right. So... The end of this film 
involves a a uh, a passing of people from one side to the other. Both sides have somebody the other side wants, and the Russians, in order to get Dominica back, give back the Americans the Russian spy. But after the spy makes it across, across the gap between the two camps, uh, a sniper takes him out. And in the film, Jennifer Lawrence goes, my God, and like turns back and like goes <gasps> and reacts when she hears the gunshot. Right. I mean, first of all, in the book, it's a, it's a silent sniper rifle. And she picks up on the commotion as the Americans realize that the person just got shot. And she chooses not to look back. And she just gets inside her ride and she drives off and the book ends. Yeah. Um, much more consistent to the character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Much, much more consistent to the character. But also, the way the book is set up, the, the, the last few chapters of the book, she has not decided whether she wants to, uh, I, I should say, like, the last, for the last chapter, the book ends without us knowing if she's ever going to actually play for the Americans. Mm-hmm. Like, she goes home, and the book ends after the spy has been shot, sniped, sniped, and she's driving home, and we are hoping that once things settle down, she'll reach back out to the Americans, and they will now have their asset in play. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's not a twist, 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 twist ending. In the book, it's the real guy, and he really gets sniped. Really? Um, I, w- 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 is the real guy her uncle in the book, or no? The real guy is not her uncle, but in the book, I had the same thought. Steven turned to me halfway through the movie and was like, it's the uncle, isn't it? And I thought that in the first 10 minutes. So the movie was clearly no, no, telegraphing re- it to try to make yeah, me think. In the book, I was like, oh, it's the uncle, as I was reading and when it got towards the end. So in, in, the, in the book, Jeremy Irons' character, right, Jeremy Irons? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he is, he is uh, Marble. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, they trick... Jennifer Lawrence's character into divulging the information that implicates Marble. So they basically cause her to fuck him over without her knowledge. The Um, Americans? The Americans. Well, actually, so first of all, it's Marble's plan. Mm -hmm. Marble has been it for a long time. He needs to plan a successor. He doesn't think anybody will ever be able to be his successor other than Dominica because Dominica has had a tragedy in her life. So that's for fuck. This is so hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dominica's roommate, who gets killed, yeah, and that's the inciting uh, moment where she decides to like go to the the CIA side. Sure, I mean, did, was that clear to you? Sort of. I I feel like everything surrounding the interplay with her and her roommate and the events that happened afterwards didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So so basically, in the book, as she starts to get more and more comfortable with the roommate, the roommate sort of divulges information that like. They, they build up a trust mm. and that trust is found out and the Russian government kills the roommate. And that's when Dominique is like, fuck, like, this is all I had. Like, they've taken every single thing that I've ever wanted and they've just fucked me over. And mm. that's when she decides it, it's it's when her roommate goes. She does. She doesn't find the roommate's body. Her roommate just doesn't come home one night. Yeah. And nobody knows what happened to her. And it's like they disappeared her. And that's when she's like, fuck it. This Nate guy. I'm I'm gonna go to his side, right? So it's like there's already this built-in thing with this tragedy. So Jeremy Irons' character, he has had the same past. When they, uh, I forget exactly what they either killed her, his wife, or let her die in a situation. Basically, they took something from him, and that's when he realized that he was on the wrong side and was like, "No, I want to betray them." Mm-hmm. So he has not found a worthy successor. He finds Dominica. He works with the Americans 
to implicate himself and gets Dominica to basically tattle on him, quote unquote, without her knowing that's what she's doing. So like in that and hostage exchange, it really is Marvel. Mm. And she really didn't know. Like she finds out and she's pissed at Nate that they used her. Also, Nate wasn't in on it because the the rest of the guys did it behind his back, too. So basically like Nate and Dominica have this sort of like this relationship that they have built over and they care about each other and both factions, the Russians and the Americans behind both those characters back come up with this plan to implicate uh, Marvel so that Marvel is actually genuinely caught and that everybody thinks Dominique is amazing for finding out who Marvel was and then they kill him. And it's she at the end of the thing, she is pissed that the Americans lied to her and betrayed her, that Nate lied to her and betrayed her, even though she doesn't know that Nate didn't know. Like it, it's it becomes this like crazy like I see. House so it, of cards. it ends on a cliffhanger and this yeah, doesn't yeah, end yeah. on a cliffhanger. And I mean like there's two more books, so I assume she starts working with them, but who knows? Maybe she becomes an even crazy double, triple, quadruple spy later in the book. I, I don't know, but like when it ended, I was like Fuck yeah, this book is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. so that is that is interesting. It, what, what's interesting is this means the both the uncle and Jeremy Irons' character must not play a crucial role in the second book. Otherwise, well, they wouldn't it, the, have decided to flip it like this. Jeremy right? Irons' character definitely doesn't play a crucial role in the book. Cause, yeah, because he dead. <laughs> yeah, no, it, no, exactly. So it, it's just interesting. Like it must mean that in the movie they plan on having him not play a major role anymore. But yeah, so that's the weird thing is because like. The whole, like, even in the chapters before they they actually put their plan into motion, they're talking to each other and they're like, look, Dominica, we want you to work with us. We think that you will be great over there because of all these things that are happening to you. The fact that they tortured you and then you were, like, voted to be clean or whatever. Um, Like, they believe that she'll be an amazing a- agent. And they're like, but we're not going to try to twist your arm we're not your uncle you know we're not the russians Mm -hmm. we want you to work for us and we want you to decide to do that yourself and the whole book is about like you do you and if you decide to do us (laughs) then we'll be happy about that right Mm -hmm. um so like when the book ends in that place you're just like shit yeah like this is crazy because she has an axe to grind at the end of the book Mm -hmm. and you don't know where that's going to go and how like what is Nate going to do? Like run to Russia where they've been chasing him for a whole, half a book already? Like he can't just go there and be like, look, baby, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but he has to because they need to become a power couple called Dominate in the next movie. Nice. Anyway, I. So it's interesting because this means the sort of twists that the movie decided to deliver are different in specifics, but maybe hit some of the same nerves, like in a different order. Because. This movie does give you the thought that she is going to give up Jeremy Irons' character, right? Yeah. And it's this interesting sacrifice that he is doing, that he's, like, allowing himself to do. Yeah. It's a powerful moment, and I think it gets that power even if she twists it at the end and doesn't do it. But it does mean that this decided to end with a clear, like, harmony between her and Nate. Yeah. And it also get it gives her the kind of fuck yeah moment at the end of the movie where she yeah. gets to have well, pulled the fast one. And she planted seeds all throughout the movie, which is what I'm considering the illusionist moment where it's like, how did you know yeah, way back then so that you were going to do this? That, so that's the problem is because this. Some of those seeds, there's, there's like four or five seeds she plants, and at least three of them are before she has enough knowledge to come up with the plan, mm-hmm. which is really annoying to me. 
Um, but it's fine because it, it, it's clear that the choice they wanted to make to change the ending was to give her agency. And mm-hmm. the book is really about a woman with zero agency. Right. Like her entire life. Ha- okay, so here, here's, here's a question. Was it clear to you that they broke her leg to recruit her into the SVR? By the end, I thought that's what happened. But the way the movie shows it, I wouldn't have believed it for the first half of the movie. At least. Yeah, because it's 100% like obvious in the well to me. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. But when I read it in the book, it was like she is whatever she does, she excels at. Um, mostly in the book, it's because of her synesthesia, but like essentially she is an expert at reading people and doing things and like, uh, whatever she puts her heart into, she can be great. And there is some level to spycraft that crosses over with being a ballerina, I guess. Right. And it's clear that like they could never have recruited her, but if they take away the one thing she has devoted her life to. The only thing that she has. So it's like not only do they put her in the situation, but they purposely break her foot so she can no longer dance like in a way that like permanently uh, not disfigures her, but like uh, permanently handicaps her. Um, And then they put her in the second situation where she is now witness to an assassination of a high government official. And it's like her choice is now get disappeared herself or join their organization. And it's like both those are one it's it's a it's a two pronged approach to force her into their service. And so they, this movie definitely doesn't make that clear because I w- I would argue one of the weaknesses of the movie is her motivation in doing most of the things she does leading up to becoming a sparrow don't doesn't really strike me as authentic. Because, yeah. Like in this movie, her leg is broken by what is perceived to be an accident. Um, her uncle feeds her information that it wasn't an accident. That is angering. Like, that's an angering fact. Yeah. I don't believe that character would then go and beat someone within an inch of their life because of that fact. So here's the Nothing other... about her in the movie up until that point would tell me that she would walk into that bathroom yeah. and beat up the people having sex. That was a completely book fabrication, too. So uh-huh. here's, here's the thing is, she is very much an Ender Wiggins character, right? Where she's strong, but she's not violent unless provoked. Mm. So, like, in, in Ender's game, like, he, he fucks some kids up. But it's only like in this movie, it's when he's attacked in the shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's like it's it's every situation where uh, she slash he Ender Wigan like violently hurt somebody. It's when they were attacked, ganged up on when something bad was happening to them. And that's how it is in the book. Like mm-hmm. she she doesn't like straight up go out and just whack on people just because she's mad at them. Um, she is always in the moment fighting somebody right. um, as opposed to like preemptively going in and, and just messing somebody up with a cane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I also felt like her then choosing to go on this mission and join the sparrows after didn't make a lot of sense given her character. Like after she's been exposed to this assassination attempt, maybe there's a conversation she has with Vladimir Putin <laughs> where he basically tells her this is your only option now otherwise you're gonna get disappeared i didn't pick up on that in well the, movie. the the uncle tells her that when he's like right. look you you witness things normally if you witness things like there can be no like he says there can be I, no I witnesses yeah. so we yeah, can that, either that use be- you or we can lose you <laughs> yeah so that that didn't resound to me however that scene played out because 
when she is opting to then go to training camp, yeah. it, it seems like she's Oh, she made, doesn't opt to go to training yeah, camp. Yeah, in the movie, it, it, it felt to me like she makes a decision to go there, in which case it didn't ring true that she is suddenly shocked that she's being asked to disrobe in front of people because it it felt like for that character to make that choice, she would already know what she was getting into. Yeah. And I think like the movie doesn't do a good job of showing the lack of agency. I think the movie steers clear of lack of agency to the point of making you wonder about motivation because now an agent can have motivation. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and, I think and because it does that, it doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, I think, I think that's what the change they wanted to make with this film is that this film will end with not only her having agency, but her pulling one over on literally everyone involved. Like, mm. um, which is weird because that totally throws a power imbalance to like the rest of the film. Because in, because uh, because in the book, the only reason she is able to go from being a perceived traitor to being in the highest levels of the SRV or SVR or whatever, I'm dyslexic. Um, uh, the the way she's able to excel there is because she finds them all. Um, and I guess technically she's still done that, but like she cannot exceed higher than the real marble, right? Mm-hmm. Like in this, in, in, in the book, she creates a power vacuum that only she is ready to uh, fill because she is this rising pupil who has done such great things in a short amount of time that only she could rise this high. But now she has a person who's literally capping her level of succession. And like, it doesn't like, I guess two is better than one maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Cause he can be, he can be literally ordering her to go on certain ops and she would be reporting directly to him. So maybe it's even a better situation, but like in the book, it really felt like a character marble makes a sacrifice of his own volition that, leads away for her to get to decide to either be a true great Russian agent or to be a true great CIA spy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, she, she can make her choice, but like marble needs to end his run. And the only way to end his run is to be caught. And then being caught creates a perfect, like it, it's, it's, it's this crazy nested thing where it's like, yeah. there is no, it's like a Russian doll. <laughs> it's, it is a Russian doll, <laughs> except for if, if, Inside each of the Russian dolls was an American doll, and inside of that was a Russian doll. Mm. <laughs> it's it's like it, like I remember reading it and just going like, "Fuck yeah, this is this is cool." Like it's one of those things where like it, it's a situation that would happen in real life that you would never believe was possible if it wasn't like a fictional story. Um, well, I for one am excited for the Marvel Cinematic Universe where he's like the cue of the movies going forward. Nice. Um, I had a question about the way. The events that lead up to Marble being potentially outed, um, it is an attack that takes place on Nate, I guess the character's yeah. name is. Does that happen that way in the so, book where this hitman character comes and tortures Nate and she tortures him for a little with him so she can find the most opportune moment to smack him in the head and then it's, weirdly not get caught or suspected by the Russians afterwards? It's so much better in the book. <laughs> no, so in the book, the way it is, is like, there's been this period of like everybody's been kind of laying low. Uh, Nate and her are like working together. She's still he's still trying to get her to like fully agree to do all this American spy shit. And uh, they're in. Uh, I forget exactly the scenario that's caused this thing to happen. I mean, like everybody's looking for moles on both sides. Um, they're sort of like in a dangerous situation. They're out on like a date sort of thing, and she wants to go home and change. And he's like, "You remember the plan? We can't." Oh yeah, it, it's following the. Uh, the handoff of the uh, materials from the 
the weeds woman. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, the, the, there's an American spy who's been delivering stuff on like a satellite program or something like that. Anyways, so they're, they're sort of trying to lay low and their plan is like, don't go back to the safe house because like it, it could be like we could get caught. She's like, I just want to, I'm, I feel gross. I want to go home and take a shower. And he's like, fine, I will go with you. Everything will be fine. They're having open conversation about how they're both working on the spy shit. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden from the side room comes that, that killer guy. And he basically just uh, throat punches her in a way where the book describes it as that should have completely closed her windpipe and killed her. Like it should have been a one shot kill for whatever reason. It just sort of incapacitates her for a second. And then he starts fighting Nate with these knives and then she comes to his rescue. And it's like immediately it's like a, Oh shit. This guy was here to just kill both of us. And her excuse is that in the fight, when that guy came to kill Nate, he tried to kill her too, and she had to defend herself. So, like, they, they come with like, like an excuse for why, like, and she, it's so not the, so the guy doesn't know that she's a Russian agent in her narrative. So, so the the actual assassin here overhears them talking, so he knows for sure. So she has to kill him because he knows the truth now. Mm-hmm. Because if he's even able to signal home, she's a hundred percent fucked. So everybody assumes that Nate is the one that killed the assassin. But she takes credit for it as like another way to assert her dominance. Like, no, I killed him because this situation happened. It had to be done. And so it's her way of like being even more spy and like coming up with it. Mm. Um, So it's kind of like it's that scene still happens, but it happens under a different context. And yeah. So So speaking of bewildering agency, the whole scene that takes place in London for one thing, it seems like she inferred the whole nature of all of that situation with Mary Louise Parker from like a few seconds of reading an envelope that I don't feel like the audience got to see enough of to know what was going on. Um, it's... But, but any, anyway, she is complying with the Americans, feeding them information. I mean, I mean, taking their information and feeding it to Russia rather than the actual info that Mary yeah. Louise Parker is going to give. And the Russians find out about this. They torture her. She insists she didn't do it. She continues to insist. She passes lie detector tests. She passes everything. But then they send her back as a fake American agent. But why? Because they supposedly believe her that she wasn't working with the Americans. So why do they think she would be able to be a fake American agent and pretend to be working with them no, all of a sudden. She, she, they still need to find out the identity of Marble. Mm-hmm. So they're sending her back to continue the job she was already doing. So they basically say, okay, like, we we believe you. Um, I forget. I, I think there's some way they extra resolve it. Because um, in the movie, that felt confusing to me. Because I felt like the movie thought she was more valuable now because she's gained the Americans' trust. But they also don't accept that she gained their trust because they're not accepting that she betrayed them. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really understand what their thought process was there. Yeah. So it was, I'm trying to remember how it was in the movie and how it was in the book, but basically, basically it, I think it had been enough time and they might have found somebody else. Like they might've found somebody to shove the blame off onto. Um, that might've been what it was. Mm. I don't remember. But I remember in the book, it seemed to make more sense. Essentially, they're like, we can't 
<laughs> we can't torture you any more than this, right? Like mm-hmm. you're either real, real good or it's true. If you can get us inf- information, like it's, it's like, here's a test for you. If you pass this next test, then we'll like really, really believe it was you. Okay. Um, I think that's what it was. So second and maybe final question. I'm basically going in reverse chronological order. I know. Her roommate is angry at her for discovering her secret and using it as her own decoy when talking to her uncle. Her roommate talks to her creepy boss and has a scene in the movie where she's like, how would you like to get rid of her for real? In the next moment, the roommate's just dead. Yeah. I, what was that exchange? Like, was that alluding to a thing in the book that happened? That's not... Because in the book, she just gets disappeared, like I said. And I think it's much more... I think it's after that roommate divulges to her something about how she... Uh, like, you know, the conversation they're having in for when he, she's helping to dye her hair without mm-hmm. gloves, by the way, which I thought was kind of dumb because... The fucking package comes with gloves in it, so you mm-hmm. don't stain your hands when you're doing the hair dye Chris stuff. Chris dyes his hair all the time. I, I used to dye my hair when I was when I was in that like uh, hell yeah. I, I dyed my hair black when I was in you know that phase in early mm. college um, when I was wearing all the Atticus t-shirts. <laughs> um, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, but in that scene where she's like, she says something about um, something to the effect of like, you're not. Uh, you're not really ever protected from them unless you have something they want. I suggest you have something you want. Mm. It's the equivalent of that conversation that gets her disappeared, essentially. It's like Mm. she kind of communicates like, hey, like, I got my own shit. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't trust them. You shouldn't trust them. Always take care of yourself. Fuck these people. Um, And then I think that's what gets her killed. Because this movie turns it into a betrayal, sort of. Yeah. Where I, I couldn't tell the roommate... The roommate maybe divulges information to the boss to try to get Jennifer Lawrence in trouble, and then the roommate gets killed for it. I, I that was muddy to me. I didn't yeah, understand it, what was going on. Excuse me. It, it it was muddy for me too in the film. Like I, I knew that character dies, but I didn't know. I it didn't feel like it was the same way that it was mm. in the movie. Um, the one thing I will say too that like I was sad. That didn't happen is um, uh, Mary Louise Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her character is very much, um, you know, the, uh, the the Stevia chick from Breaking Bad. Her character is very much like that character. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the book, uh, there's this uh, Chekhov's uh, death pin <laughs> um, where... Uh, Basically, the character is like, look, things are getting hairy. I'm very, very scared. If they come for me, I'm not going to withstand any sort of torture. Give me one of those cyanide caps. Right. <laughs> right? She's like, I want a cyanide cap because if anything happens, I'm fucked and whatever. Um, they're like, okay, well, that's just the movie. shit. We don't have cyanide caps. And so she's like, no, I know you have them. Give them to me. I need them. They're like, look, we don't have cyanide caps. So they give her a pen, like a signing pen. Um, and inside that pen is a pin in the cap. There's like a gem or something in, in the, the cap of the pin. And when you pull that out, there's a needle with some gnarly biotoxin and it takes just a scratch of your skin. Um, and that'll basically kill you in like 30 seconds or something like that or 10 seconds or something like that. So and then she, she gets hit by a truck. <laughs> no, no. So the, the, she does get hit by a truck. She, so, so the way she doesn't go to that meeting, 
she sends some other person to that meeting. That person is supposed to stay in the hotel. They don't stay in the hotel. They try to leave. They tackle that person before they can leave because they want to arrest that person. There's a Russian agent there. She's that tackling. That's where everything goes south. Um, things don't go south because she gets hit by a car. Things go south because like agents literally swarm her and they realize that it was like a, a sting. Um, beyond the point. Anyways, later on, there's like a little mini chapter in the book where a bunch of Secret Service agents show up to the senator's like beach state of property or whatever. And they're like, oh, she's like just got done hooking up with some baseball player or something like that. And she's like walking around her apartment, like all oh, whatever. And her assistant's like new assistant is like type, type, type doing stuff. And a bunch of people show up. They're like, boom, boom, boom. This is a warrant. We're here to search all your shit. You're fucking under arrest for like a million counts of espionage. That's treason. And she's like, oh, and they're like, here. This is all the accounts. You can go ahead and sign this. Uh, uh, ah. you, can, you can sign this uh, uh, confession. Yeah. And she's like, she's like, fine, I'll sign your confession. Yo, assistant, fuck their pen. Can you get my pen for me? <laughs> so she like signs the she signs the confession and it says like suck my dick or something like that. And they're like, yeah, very cute. And then she pulls up the cap, stabs her arm. And like Nate is there for the arrest and he sees what's happening. He's like. <laughs> he tries to rush there to stop it from happening but he can't she stabs herself with a thing and he like flicks it away but it's too late because she's already been like she literally she, all you have to do is scratch your skin and you die in like 10 seconds and she like full on stabs in her arm and she like convulses and like goes into the seizing fit and just like dies this horrible death and it's like so badass nice <laughs> and I was like waiting for the scene in the movie and it doesn't fucking happen I, I will say the the I d the truck thing was not the inciting incident. It is the fact that the CIA came after her that tipped the Russians off, even in the movie. The truck scene didn't need to happen for any reason. It doesn't accomplish yeah. anything. They just wanted her to die horribly, and they didn't want to s film a whole scene where she had to convulse. And yeah. maybe there's a deleted scene where she's just on the ground writhing. Then she stabs herself. <laughs> yeah, then she stabs herself. Nice. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions about this film? Nope. <laughs> I think I'm sparrowed out. <laughs> nice. The only thing I wanted to mention, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo could be called Atticus Fincher. Because that's, <laughs> that's the mashup. Yeah, yeah I get you. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>